Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. As we continue to press on and keep our fingers crossed that athletics continue moving forward as best it can. And we'll get into how as best it can was said that way, because there were some things that happened in this last week in the National Football League that were curious. And it's interesting to see just how far the league will go to make sure its product takes the field by any means possible, really. One of those examples happened today. We put off recording this podcast a little bit so we could talk about your Baltimore Ravens, who after several cancellations, hearkening back to Thanksgiving Day, finally took the field almost a week later in Pittsburgh to play the division-rivaled Steelers, whose vaunted offense scored a total of six points after three quarters despite having 10 days to prepare for your Ravens, a Ravens team that was without 28 players, almost 30 guys gone from the starting lineup or the reserves that would come into it, including a former MVP quarterback and several other of his key offensive pieces. Six points after three quarters, a riveting Wednesday afternoon, 3:40 Eastern time football game that unfortunately saw your Ravens fall to the second time to the Steelers. So we'll get you a little riled up to start the show and let you take the floor and try to put in a sense that game. We want to wish everybody a belated Thanksgiving. We were not on last week because of the holiday. We hope everybody had a great, uh, happy and healthy, long Thanksgiving weekend. And obviously the Ravens and Steelers were missing from Thursday night due to the outbreak, the pandemic. So the Steelers, the undefeated Steelers, the cocky, we're holier than now Steelers who bitched and moaned about, you know, how the Ravens you know, got to delay the play uh, playing of this game from Thursday night, went out, beat the JV squad. Okay. Uh, 19 to 14 got their usual huge call in their favor at the end of the first half. When they laid on the ground for what seemed like minutes when the Ravens were out of timeouts, every other team in the sport, gets called in that scenario for either a delay a game or the referee stopped the clock. In K, in, you know, not, not the Steelers, it just rolls on. So the Ravens have to scramble. And instead of getting two plays out of it where they could have thrown the ball on third down and go from the one, and if not successful, have it be incomplete, and then on fourth down do whatever they want, either kick the field goal or run whatever play you want as the last play they have, uh-uh, they get the third and one, shot in the third goal shot in and the clock runs out because the Steelers lay on the ground like they got shot like horses, but no call as usual. So the Steelers continue to be the worst undefeated team in the history of the national football league. They got beaten pillar to post by the Ravens. The first time outgained by double the yardage, uh, if not for the human turnover machine, Lamar Jackson pissing the game away with four turnovers and today you had the prevent offense with Robert Griffin at the helm. Remember when he was going to be the next great thing? How far they have fallen? Still not 30 years old. And he looks like a total and complete has-been. We resort to Trace McSorley, who throws a 70-yard touchdown pass catch and run uh, to the mercurial Marquise downtown Brown. And the Steelers roll on at 19-14. Due to worst-case scenario, probably be 15-1, I would imagine, against their patsy schedule which is basically like playing what used to be the entire uh, AFC East, except for New England. But their schedule is so bad. Uh, The Ravens now at 6-5 and in huge trouble. Hopefully they will be able to recover from uh, really a third of their team being stricken by the pandemic. 
get enough guys ready and back to play the Cowgirls. And when you look at the Ravens schedule, which also the rest of the way is very, very, very weak. Dallas, the Giants, Jacksonville, the Bengals, and the Browns. Obviously, the one playoff team in there. No reason, despite the pandemic, the Ravens shouldn't go four and one against the rest of that schedule, get to 10 and six, worst case scenario, and be a playoff team. But regardless, their offense has fallen on very hard times. Lamar Jackson has been absolutely hideous. He's proven that his 15 minutes are up. He can't throw the ball from the pocket. Uh, you know, in this league, you don't just have to throw from the pocket to be a top flight quarterback. You have to hit not open receivers. You have to complete passes to covered receivers. That small window, that portal that Patrick Mahomes throws through, that the great Mr. Rogers throws through, that Russell Wilson, when he's on fire and he's taking a bit of a step back, throws through the upper echelon guys, the great quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson, as a thrower, is not even a middling player. He is not even a mediocre throwing quarterback. He's a below average throwing quarterback. When you watch him from the pocket, and he's settled in. He is never accurate on balls downfield, even even the short ball. Guys are wide open when he hits them, or they're very open. He throws it behind him. He throws a little bit ahead of him. He throws it where they have to go down and get it. They never seem to catch the ball in a position to make plays unless they're wide open. It's not surprising. He hasn't improved on that front at all. He's gone backwards in regard to turnovers. He runs into sacks. He continually fumbles. He makes bad decisions in regard to interceptions. And he has literally killed the Ravens this year with his quarterback play and his turnovers. And now they are on the precipice where they have to go on a run if they want to make the playoffs. And the Steelers roll on, you know, at 11 or no, uh, you know, bragging about how rough and tough they are, having beaten. In terms of good teams, the Ravens, that's about it. Nobody else on that schedule is worth, the, worth their salt. And But they talk the talk, that's for sure. Let's see if they can walk the walk when they play somebody good. And as for the rest of the league, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you've got the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. The Steelers are the team with the best record. After that, total crapshoot. The team right now to me that's playing the best, other than the Chiefs, is the Titans. What they did this past weekend on Thanksgiving weekend to go in to Indianapolis and take on their supposed vaunted defense and just give a good old-fashioned nasty. I mean, they whooped the Colts from pillar to post from minute one. Never a football game. The big man, the best running back in football, is now wearing teams out. He's not just wearing out teams in games. He's wearing teams out in the season. He's not getting stronger as games go on. He's getting stronger as season goes on. And he is proving it. And a lot of people don't like him. A lot of people think he's middling. I will take Tannehill as my quarterback any day of the week. He wins games. He makes big throws. And they have got a tremendous wide receiver. Uh, the kid. For, it, it turns out, and I say this you know, really uh, enviously, that the Ravens, uh, in getting Marquise downtown Brown, who's a mercurial player, fast player, quick player, but he's not the Brown kid and he's not the Metcalf kid, uh, both out of oldness that uh, the Titans and Seattle took respectively, who have turned into super duper wide receivers, big, strong, fast yards after the catch, break tackles, rough, tough guys, good hands. Don't drop passes. Big targets, uh, so you don't have to be as accurate as Lamar Jackson isn't uh, uh, for them to make big plays. And it has bowed very well for the Titans because uh, Brown has been terrific, and we know how great Metcalf has been for Seattle. Over in the NFC, it's it's crapshoot. Packers look really good at times, not so good other times. Um, you know, the NFC East is a complete joke as the Giants are now in first place. And, you know, you look down south, New Orleans has the best record, and they're playing the one and only Taysom Hill at quarterback. 
So the team that you picked to go to the postseason, and I laughed, the Rams are in the midst of things, but they are like a Dow Jones team. They're up one week down the next. So it just seems to be a total and complete, I don't want to say question mark, but you know, you look at the NFC, and to me, you could argue New Orleans, but until Drew Brees comes back, uh, I don't buy into it. And even when he's back, I don't buy into them as being a superior team to everyone else in the NFC. To me, the NFC is a total crapshoot, and the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, it, it's no surprise that, of course, in week 12 and moving forward the next couple of weeks, we'll obviously get a better idea of who's who in the National Football League, or at least the best to our ability. And we've talked about a couple of these major storylines for the past month or so, one of them being you posing the question, who would you rather at this point, Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson? And at that point in the season, I said, well, Lamar Jackson hasn't been the MVP caliber quarterback that he was when he won the award, but maybe as the season progresses, he gets a couple more games under his belt. They'll start figuring some things out. And then Kyler Murray followed that with the Hale Murray. And that completely changed my answer. It's clearly Kyler Murray for the rest of the way. Just one pass really made it hit home. And I don't know whether or not the Ravens would have won today's game against the Steelers with Lamar Jackson. Odds would tell you no, because the Steelers are a decent, <laughs> a decent football team, but you'd at least have a fighting chance. You wouldn't have the first snap of the game fumbled because Robert Griffin, the third is getting his feet wet and doesn't really turn the right direction. And before you know it, the Steelers are back in business after they screwed up their first possession looking awful. Were handed that gift and ended up cashing in on an interception to get their points across the board and I, I guess put the game away in, in some senses for some people. There's other things we've discussed as well, but the main theme has continued to be it's the Kansas City Chiefs and everybody else. And nothing has really changed that for me, despite what the Steelers did today. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger going to Kansas City and throwing the football 51 times in a game is going to be the answer for how you beat the chiefs. It's not 15 years ago. I don't want big Ben throwing that much in a football game and they're lining up for at least half of their sets with not even a running back back there to give the Ravens the sense that they're going to run the ball. It's just him standing back there ready to sling it. And the Ravens didn't do too bad of a job defending that. It's like, okay, you're going to throw it. Great. We're ready for you, bro. Did an excellent job, but they were you know, eventually you know, the defense just ran out of gas. I mean, count the three and outs for the Ravens offense. It was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. I mean, Robert Griffin, the third looks like, you know, thir he played like Thurston Howell the third. He doesn't belong in the league. You know, you, you don't see him for a while. So you wonder what's he got left and you go out there and you just, you, you don't even look any, like anything resembling an NFL quarterback. You fumble the first snap, you throw a pick six, you know, you throw for a grand total of what, 13 yard, 22, whatever it was, you know, under, under 30 yards passing. Uh, I don't have the exact number, but it was almost comical. Mind numbing. 33 how, yards passing. <laughs> and he ended with 68 yards rushing. So that tells you how the day it, went on. It's, it's, it's shocking. It really is that you could play to that low a level at his still relatively young age from where he was uh, you know, before the injuries and before he wound up, you know, with the Ravens as a backup. And then McSorley comes in and throws, you know, 70 yard touchdown. Granted, it was, you know, <laughs> 40 of it minimum was, was running, but you know, he completed a pass you know, in the air for longer than anything Griffin did all day. That ball was in the air, you know, 25, 30 yards from the line of scrimmage, uh, which is nothing remotely close to what Griffin did all day. And it just makes you wonder how far he has fallen in terms of the skill set, the ability to quarterback at the national football league level. And then you look around the league and as you said, it's the league against the virus. Can they find a way to battle it and get through? 
We're seeing it happen to, to teams all over with obviously positive tests and guys being, you know, quarantined, out of games, on the list, etc. Will they make it through? Of course they'll make it through. The National Football League. They always make it through. They'll find a way. They'll use the extra week if they have to do it. But they will find a way to get us to, I believe, what will be. And I heard rumblings of it, but you heard it, heard it here on the new report, old report first. We were the ones who said, you will see NFL playoff football in the bubble. I am convinced you will see the return of the major league sports bubble. And this time it will be the national football league so they can get their way through the playoffs without the loss of major players. Otherwise it won't be legitimate playoffs. You have legitimate NBA playoffs because of the bubble, no positive tests. You had legitimate major league baseball playoffs in world series because you lost no Major players. You guys just sat out because they didn't want to play. Happened in the NBA as well, but you didn't have guys who couldn't play during the postseason because of positive tests. If you don't go that route with the National Football League, you're going to run the risk of a major player, a major contributor on a playoff team not being available. And that will be a game wrecker for the NFL postseason. So they, in my mind, will definitely be bubbling it up come the postseason. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, we saw exactly how severe how detrimental, how awful it is for a team if the, I don't want to say right personnel, but if the star personnel end up breaking protocol, end up getting coronavirus, end up part of the contact tracing, just what it does to a football team. Now, obviously it happened with the Ravens, missing 28 players today, at least. Lamar Jackson being one of them couple of running backs out as well. If you lose your best players, especially in the postseason, your chances are ruined. Basically, you see what happens when the backup quarterback comes in. And we saw the worst case scenario happen to my team, the Denver Broncos, whose quarterbacks decided to take a trip into the facility, do a little film watching and get ready for their opponent, the New Orleans Saints. And in doing so, we're a little lax on the mask wearing. The protocols were just recently changed. The NFL got a little bit more stricter, which I'm totally fine with. And everybody should be. And they got caught. So because Jeff Driscoll, whoever thought we'd throw that name out on new report, old report, contracted coronavirus, one of the backup quarterbacks for the Broncos, because he was in close contact with the other quarterbacks, not wearing masks, not wearing masks, not wearing masks at the meeting. All of them had to go into the quarantine, go into the protocol and couldn't play on Sunday. So obviously that puts Denver in a pickle and it's very close to Sunday's game. So they tried to see if the NFL would grant them permission to sign one of the coordinators off the team to be the quarterback because he once did in college. The NFL said no. So they had to go with a wide receiver on the practice squad, Kendall Hinton, another name I never thought we would say in the report, old report, former Wake Forest quarterback for a, a literal cup of coffee in college, then turned wide receiver. He did win a state championship in high school in North Carolina as a junior, but he has no experience as an NFL quarterback. He was not throwing the football this season on the practice squad because he is a wide receiver. And they ask him on Friday, Hey man, what do you think about taking center in the national football league against the new Orleans saints defense on Sunday? <laughs> hey man, want to play some quarterback. <laughs> hope your Thanksgiving was good, bro. <laughs> hope the Turkey and the family and everything's well. How about we have you lace up those shoes and 
put those gloves back on to be the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Now, credit to him for agreeing to it. It takes a lot of guts just to do that. In the beginning, I thought trying to be optimistic because of his experience in high school. Because of of his experience at Wake Forest, despite it being three to five games max. I love how the reports were saying he played a couple of years at quarterback for Wake Forest. No, he played a couple of games, folks, for Wake Forest early in his career and then moved to wide receiver. Some part of me thought that maybe he could pick up enough where it wouldn't be dreadful as it ended up turning out to be on Sunday. Similar to actually what the Ravens kind of did with RG three, have them run a little bit, throw some short passes, just get some comfortability in the pocket, get your feet wet with a couple throws. Instead, he comes out on Sunday, not even taking the field for the first possession. They start running the wildcat with the running backs and trying different things with that. They get a first down and then that Peters out. He comes in for the second series, doesn't fare much better. And then the Saints, as they would, start figuring out what he's going to try to do. We didn't see any short passes. We didn't see any design runs. We didn't see any short screens. It was a very interesting play calling scenario for the Broncos, who have been shitty at play calling most of the season, to be honest. So that wasn't that much of a difference. But he ends the day going one for nine with two interceptions in the loss to Taysom Hill, who looked like garbage in his own right. I cannot believe that Sean Payton would rather trot him out at quarterback every series than not try Jameis Winston, who could at least light something up. But another discussion for Jameis. We'll we'll save that for a couple minutes. I, I also think in that game, he wanted to take the safe route. Yeah, he didn't have to do anything spectacular because he almost had a he had a bot. Right. That's exactly what it was. This was unfortunately this was practice. This was hey, this this local junior college is trying to run this new offense with this new quarterback. Can we come down to your practice with you guys and just run through our plays and you can kind of play three quarters defense, but we just want to get them a look of what they might see when we have our first game. That's what it ended up turning out to be. Now, I understand the rules. I understand the Broncos broke them. What surprised me is they really put their foot down to this when it was the quarterback position. I mean, this just goes to show you that you can't play a football game in the NFL without a quarterback. I mean, we know that in general. If you have a shitty quarterback, you have no shot. But if you don't have a quarterback and you just have to throw one out there, sweet Lord, that's exactly how it looks. I understand that the rules were broken. I was, I guess, confused, not surprised, knowing the National Football League the way they do, that they didn't come to some sort of olive branch, even to say, yeah, you know what? You're not allowed to sign your coaches because we don't want teams stashing players there to have an advantage, which I think would be useless, but uh, I mean, maybe some squads would try it. Probably the new England Patriots. If we had to pick one, this, this was like a baseball game where a team not only didn't have a starter, didn't have an opener, didn't have anybody. And they said to one of their regular players who dabbled in, you know, who pitched in college, want to take a shot at starting. The difference is, you don't get to go out there and throw two innings. We need you to start and we need you to pitch. It's like the guy when he comes, you know, it's like, it's like when the fifth outfielder or the third catcher or you know, the, the middle infielder, fifth infielder comes in and it, you know, it's 16 to one or it's the 19th inning. No, we need you to start and we need you to pitch a while. That's what you're telling the quarterbacks playing the whole game. So don't have anybody else. We don't have anybody else. So big John, you're getting the starting nod, and oh, by the way, this isn't an opener routine. You're throwing 100 pitches minimum. Go get them. Right. When can I get out? No. There is no, 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 no Don't no, look no. to the dugout. <laughs> You're Don't it, look bro. in here. 
Don't look in here. Don't look out the pen. See if anybody's everybody's warm. You're it. You're all we got. So go get him. So this poor kid goes out there with, unlike Robert Griffin III, no experience in the National Football League. One, worse, no experience at quarterback uh, in the National Football League. And, and very, 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 very little experience at quarterback you know, as a college player. And he's playing a really good team in the Saints. So what do you expect? It's a buy. It's a buy. Plain and simple. What the Steelers should have had today. Understandably so. The Steelers-Ravens game got pushed around as much as it possibly could for them to fit the game in in week 12 and not have to get move it to another week. They're, they're adamant about getting the games in. What interests me about the Denver scenario is what if that happens to a more prominent football team, especially down the stretch? Because despite talking about it and maybe even seeing it in practice, the NFL didn't give themselves much leeway to having an extra week, to having an extra buy down the line before the Super Bowl, whatever it might be, to make sure if this happens severely enough that they'll be able to maybe move the games to another week and make sure that they all get in. All those bye weeks that they had in store, which mounted to two weeks, they're gone. Moving the games to this week and screwing teams around and dragging them through the dirt to make sure that they could get these games played. Who cares about what it does to the teams? I mean, the Broncos were one an example where they had to move games around and mess with their bye weeks, et cetera. What happens if this happens to a good team? Even if you look at the NFC. Now, granted, the Saints have done enough to that point heading into the game where they've basically set them up as a playoff team. They'd have to have a pretty bad collapse without Drew Brees to be out of the conversation. But if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're not happy that the Saints got this bye week game to extend the lead in the division. If for whatever reason, this comes down to a wild card scenario, the entire NFC can't be happy that this game was played against a, a I don't even want to say a fifth string quarterback, even worse. So what happens? Let's say if the chiefs fall into this situation in week 17, where Patrick Mahomes and co can't play quarterback. Now the chiefs are probably a bad example because their offense does so many ridiculous things and plays where Andy Reid could probably find a way to have Travis Kelsey throw for two touchdowns and still have Tyree kill go for 150 yards and a score. And it wouldn't make a difference that they don't have Patrick Mahomes in the game, but it goes to show that forget about player safety, you know, forget about everything that the NFL tries to put out to the public. We care. We're testing. We're this, we have protocols We're that when it really comes down to it, they just want to get their games in. they want to make sure that the TV providers are happy. They want to push forward as much and as fast as they can damn whatever has happened to your football team, plain and simple. That's just how it is. You're telling me that the player safety wasn't at a different type of level for the Denver Broncos where they got to be trotting their running backs out there to run wildcat scenarios and their whole offense is in track. You're telling me the Ravens playing the Steelers didn't have health in, in the back of their mind where they're trotting out third, fourth string guys out there at positions that they might not play before. The NFL doesn't give a damn about that stuff. They just want their games played. But I ask what is going to happen if this happens on the biggest stage? And let's just say it, the postseason, any of the weeks, what happens? Well, that's if one why of your teams going, has that's why you're to going in. That's why you're going in. That's why they're going to bubble it up. They better. They're not going to let it happen. They better. Everybody's going to get tested and traced and you're going to stay away from everybody once the postseason starts. Period. End of story. There's not going to be any contact outside. There's not going to be any, you know, there's not going to be unrestricted travel. There's not going to be waltz around hotels. You are going to be on, in my mind, a strict adherence to a program that's going to be developed by the league in terms of protocol. So nothing can negatively affect their playoffs you know, under the scenario that we discussed earlier on where a major player from a major team is unable to play in a playoff game because he's been tested positive 
or a series, a group of players on a particular team. And they will go into bubbles. They will batten down the hatches because you know, there aren't going to be any fans. There are limited fans. So you don't have to worry about that. You have limited fans in the, in the World Series. They can have that again wherever they play. But you're going bubbleicious. It's as simple as that. When the visiting team comes into town, whenever they come in, they're going to the hotel. They ain't going anywhere else. Hotel, practice field. Hotel, practice field. Hotel, practice field. They're shutting it down. They're going to make sure that their product on the field is the best it can be with the full complement of all the best players for all the best teams ready to go come postseason. The same way I told you that the Final Four in NCAA college football is going to be bubbled up. They're bubbling up. No way, no how. Are after what they've lost already in terms of dollars, uh, with no fans in the stands, with so many lost games, with conferences not even playing, if they get the final four that they're looking for, which it looks like they're damn close to getting it, uh, with Alabama, with Ohio State and their, what, seven games? They're going to let them in with how many games? Seven? Uh, they hope. We'll get to that. And... If it falls the way they want it to fall, Clemson beats Notre Dame in the rematch, and they each have one loss against each other, and there is your final four. And that's their dream to salvage this season. That has got to be in a bowl bubble. It's got to be. Wherever they're playing these these semis and finals, they got to be bowled up. You can't have college kids you know, running around for a week, two weeks, you know, all over the place. You know, party and hardy. Uh, sorry, can't happen. You, know, you you can't have Trevor Lawrence not playing one of these games. And if he's not playing against Wake Forest, they can survive. They barely survived against North Carolina. You can't have him not playing in the Final Four. You're going to see bubbles. You're going to see bubbles in the NFL. You're going to see bubbles in the NCAA. You're going to see, you you may see bubbles in college basketball. You when we get to the postseason, they hope to do and that there, too. And there, and there will be there will be college basketball. It's already started. There will be postseason college basketball. And if they go into if they have to go into bubbles, they'll go into bubbles. They'll turn the sites into bubbles. Got to do what you got to do. It's surprising we haven't heard about it yet. I guess is also a talking point, and. Maybe it's not that surprising considering the two entities we're dealing with, the National Football League and the NCAA, aren't the most exactly forthright in their plans and in their wants, like the NBA was with the bubble and the pamphlets that they sent out and the rules and regulations and very straightforward. Here's everything it's, we it's plan to do. It's almost like the NBA is the people's league. Granted, the, the, the guys make the most money have the highest you know, average salary. And obviously that's going to be the case when there's you know, only 15 of them on a team you know, versus 25 or 55. So the average salary per player is, of course, going to be higher. But it still seems like it's the people's league. It, it seems like it's the league that's most answerable to the players and through the players to the people. They showed that. Uh, they always seem to put the best foot forward in terms of the part there. They are really the essence of what we never thought we would see with the constant conflict between player union and ownership. They have truly become a partnership. They've truly become a partnership. It's almost like the players have equity in the teams. With their salaries, they might as well. But you know, the point we want to get to if we get to LeBron's uh, extension today, but tonight. But the point is, they are and they're equity partners. You know the salary structure and the cap. It's it's based on revenue. They share revenue. Plain and simple, they share revenue, and they have guaranteed contracts. Right. MLB, they're not sharing revenue. Guaranteed contracts. 
NFL, salary cap, hard cap, can't go over to sign your guys. Obviously, based on revenue, absolutely. You got a cap, got a hard cap, and your contracts aren't guaranteed. NBA is the most player fan friendly of the three majors. They are, they think outside the box. They always seem to be one step ahead of the other leagues in dealing with whether it's social issues. Uh, they they understand where we are today in the world and socially in in, re, in regard to uh, racial injustice, etc. Obviously, because the league is predominantly black, but they seem to have a handle faster than the other major sports in terms of awareness as to what is going on in the world and addressing it and speaking to it and uh, showing that the fans that their players relate to it and showing their fans that the league and the owners relate to it because they share concerns with the players. They share the concerns of their players. You know, the Donald Sterling days are gone. And as a result, you have a league that even though they lost a ton of money is wildly popular. And I know ratings were down because everything was down because you know what 2020 was. 2020 was, is, and always will be. What? The year of the? Asterisk. Print the shirts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And still, you got tremendous basketball in the bubble. And we've talked about this before. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Before wrapping up with a couple NBA scenarios and things that have happened tonight, I wanted to throw one quick college football aspect to you, not necessarily on the rankings because we know that's just a television show until they actually matter. But the scenario of the number four team that is in the list, whether or not they deserve to be there at this point, is irrelevant. What matters is the name of the team is Ohio State, and that's a team that has been part of the college football playoff for years now. It's visually one of the best teams in college football. There's not much denying to that. What people are nervous or up in arms about depending on what side of the aisle you stand in college football is on Ohio state's schedule. The big 10 shortened schedule to begin with Ohio state has had to miss a couple of games from coronavirus. They have two games left remaining against Michigan state and Michigan. They would need to play two games to reach the six game threshold that the big 10 put out in order to qualify to make the Big Ten championship game. The ACC pretty much streamlined Notre Dame into the ACC championship. They had a couple of scheduling changes. They had to move around again because of coronavirus, and it turns out Notre Dame's in the ACC championship. They're good. They got a week off before the game. We're throwing you in there. Clemson wins this Saturday. Same deal. You're in. Now, of course, the SEC chimed in today. Their commissioner was a little pissy that the ACC as he said, streamlined Clemson and Notre Dame's path to the ACC championship and said the SEC will proudly play all of its games, even though the 10 games that Clemson and Notre Dame will both play is the same as Alabama, Texas A&M, and Florida have scheduled for their regular season. How do you think this will play out? I guess this is to say, are we going to see the Big Ten do their darndest to get Ohio state into the big 10 championship in the least. And if Ohio state should get there playing five or six games, winning the big 10 championship, is that enough for them to have people comfortable enough with them getting into the college football? It's three questions. Number one, the answer number one is yes. They will do everything conceivable to get them enough games so they can get into the conference championship. Um, I doubt Michigan will be able to live with the abuse uh, if they don't play the Ohio State game because it's the Ohio State game. And 
what it would put Ohio State in the position of losing out on. As for whether or not, assuming they get there, they should qualify, in my mind, no. But, you know, I am the purist. Uh, I'm not saying you've got to play a 12-game schedule, but to me, that's not enough. And when you've got Florida out there, when you've got Texas A&M out there, when you've got an undefeated Cincinnati out there, and when you have, I'm going to say it, an undefeated BYU out there whose schedule was debilitated like Ohio State's, not shortened. So you look at what BYU's schedule was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a very difficult schedule. But their schedule got changed dramatically, and they still played games. Ohio State hasn't played the games. So, I mean, obviously I'm hoping against hope that a mediocre at best Michigan State team could beat them. Chances slim and none. And we know Michigan's not going to beat them because they get their asses whooped every year. And Ohio State's very good. How good are they? They looked great last year. People thought they could have been a one seed. What happened to them last year in, in the in the playoff? Smoked. Crushed. Embarrassed. Beaten like a rented mule. Out of the Big Ten, pounded. So I don't think that resume, if you want to call it that, merits a spot in the college football playoff. It just doesn't. Look at the caliber of the wins. Who's the best team if they bat out that they're going to beat? Indiana? Yeah, I would say that's that's the one. And they didn't have the greatest of games against them in the second half. Now, granted, they took a big lead, but Indiana and Indiana came back. But that would be, is there a better win I'm missing? If they bat out? Michigan State, Michigan, and who's going to be on the other side of the playoff? Northwestern? The fighting Reese Davises, you mean, I think. But but, but, but they stand to be on the other side of the playoff right yeah, now, that's, correct? Yeah, that's what it's looking like, right. To me, that that's not a resume that puts you in the Final Four. Well, your best win is Indiana. And you've played a grand total of, including the championship game, how many games will they have played, including the championship game? Seven or eight? They would play seven, including the championship game, if including. they finish the regular season. Right. Right. So six and oh, and a, and a win over, let's say, Northwestern. I'm sorry. That's not enough. That's not enough when you've got teams out there 10 and one, 11 and oh, 10 and oh, 11 and oh. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Look, that's it. It's a decision your conference made. You got to live with it. I don't have to live with it. Well, and the way the year has gone in general, this shouldn't be a year where you feel the need to make sure the big name is in there and you make Ohio state happy. You make the big 10 happy. You cross all that off your list and kind of go chalk with your decision, how it's sort of been for the last several years, as far as the last four teams that make it, you have so many easy ways to say why Ohio state doesn't make it if they don't just look at the stats, you know, look at the stats. Here's, here's the information we have. Here's the statistics. Here's everything we have going on. Unfortunately, they didn't reach X, Y, and Z because of the state of the country. It wasn't what they could control. They did what they couldn't control. Unfortunately is why they can't make it. That's it. What can we tell you, man? You're not the first team. You're not the first coach, players, etc., to get screwed in 2020 because of the circumstances of the world. And sorry, you're not getting and you're and you're not getting screwed. This is what your conference decided to do. Exactly. They're just going by what they said they were going to do and following it. That's it. Sorry. You're a member of the Big Ten, or you're not. You stayed in. You played on. This is what you got. It's not good enough. We made all kinds of adjustments because of this virus. We've added playoff teams in Major League Baseball. We changed the rules. 
We shorten the season for everybody, not just for you, for everybody. Everybody. And we changed all kinds of things because we had to do it on the fly by the seat of our pants. So the NBA, what did they do? They went into a bubble. They expanded the playoffs. They had play-ins. Well, here's what we're doing. We're keeping our final four, and we're going to take the four most deserving teams. And they may not be the four best teams. The four most deserving teams. We know one of them is going to be one of the best teams. And we know chances are another one of them is going to be one of the best teams. And the other two uh, are either going to be the, the two best remaining or the two most deserving. That could be A&M. It could be Florida. It certainly could be Cincinnati. I doubt it's going to be BYU. Uh, if I'm deciding, it won't be Ohio State. But chances are, if they go a whopping 7-0 <laughs> with a resume-topping win over Indiana and a conference championship win over the fighting Reese Davises, there will probably be enough pressure to, to get them in so they can have their dream final four. Yeah, if I had to put money down, that's how I would look at it. I would love to see Cincinnati get it. Yeah, what the hell? I would love, I'd love to see. Look, Alabama has smoked teams in the first round of this time after time after first time. First round after games time. usually aren't close. Yeah, the one four game, I'd love to see BYU play. Yeah. But BYU is great defense. What's the worst that's going to happen? They get blown out? Okay, that happens seemingly every year in the one four game. It's not the first exactly. time it's happened. And it's happened with teams like Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Or, you know, they get blown out. It happens. This wouldn't be any so, different. So what's the big deal? No harm, no foul. But Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. Ohio State. Big 10. Ryan Day, let us play. Let us play. Yeah. Let us play. The Ohio State. While his other cohorts that were screaming the same, James Franklin and Scott Frost, yeah. And they end up both starting the season. Ophers. Trash. The other aspect that I want to discuss with you is, which we, we never thought we'd be at, but it looks like, at least right now, the Heisman Trophy is going to come down to <laughs> two quarterbacks, but not two that we expected. <laughs> oh. Mac Jones and you know, young Mr. Trask from Florida, who has had a phenomenal season. And they are going mano a mano, back, forth, back, forth. Uh, where's your money right now? I know season's not over yet. But if you had to vote right now, who gets your vote? Well, if I'm voting, I'm voting for Trevor Lawrence. But that's just because I have an incredible bias towards Clemson since I work for the ACC radio channel on Sirius XM. Clemson ha- Trevor Lawrence has less of a chance of winning the Heisman than Ohio State does of getting to the final. Oh, I agree. Yeah, once once he missed those games, that was it. And Trevor Lawrence is less deserving of the Heisman than Ohio State is of going to the final. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. I would say I'm leaning more toward the underdog of this, which would end up being Kyle Trask because of the team he plays on three touchdown passes and eight consecutive games. Now he threw three of them in his last game to Kyle Pitts, who came back from being hurt. That doesn't hurt getting to throw to and him he is in the end zone. Also on the verge of, uh, passing Tim Tebow and Danny Warfel to move into second place behind Danny Warfel in the all time leading uh, most touchdown passes in a season for a Florida quarterback. I said that poorly. Danny Werfel's got the first, I believe, at 39. And I think Danny Werfel has got second at 35 or six. And he's just tied Tebow at 34, maybe. Um, so he's got enough time. He's certainly obviously going to pass Werfel's second spot. He actually has enough time. He has enough games left to pass Werfel's 39. 
um, to become the all-time leading uh, touchdown passer in single-season Florida football history, which would be pretty amazing. Um, I think right now, if I had a vote, he would get my vote. And this is not a knock on Mac Jones. It's been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, but I think Trask has been uh, even better. Even better. Well, what's fun, too, is it's going to come down to the last games, and we might see Alabama play Florida in the SEC championship game. That's how it's sort of looking. Which would be terrific. So the, Exactly. You can't ask game, for a better game, game for, the for the SEC title and quite possibly the Heisman. Exactly. So in that aspect, for that news and moderation and storyline, you couldn't ask for something better if you're the SEC and if you're college football. And to end our program, uh, we end it on a high note for, as we always like to do as Laker fans, and we show our bias, we can quickly touch on the fact that LeBron did sign a contract extension today. LeBron James, two more years with the Lakers for $18 billion. Uh, he will remain a Laker for the next two seasons for sure. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens after those two seasons. Uh, LeBron, not too concerned about whether or not he's going to be getting a stimulus check. All right. <laughs> In the mailbox anytime soon. Two years, I believe 90 million. 85. The 85. Contract extension I, round, I round it up. Yeah. All right. Two years, 85 million LeBron James contract extension. Uh, LeBron moves in comfortably to be a Laker uh, for what will be uh, five years at the end of that uh, at the end of that two year extension, and uh, hopefully end his career there, and uh, hopefully for him and us more titles because the franchise of record has now got it rolling. And uh, really can't wait to get the season started. We'll talk about that more next week. For the LeBron James aspect, it was a, a wipe your brow, phew, type of moment. Just because you don't have to deal with any drama now for is he staying, is he going, what's basically followed LeBron James since he last left the Heat, or even when he was with the Heat, two and ones, is it? Now you're good until 2023, and there's a fun storyline for people down the road for that because Bronny James will be graduating high school in 2023. So maybe not to any surprise at all, LeBron James looking down the road and thinking, maybe I'll have this contract run up for one year. I'll do what I can with the Lakers. I'll win as many titles, hopefully three or four more, knock on wood. And for my final year, my last dance, I'll go play with my kids somewhere. But as Lakers fans, it's exciting to not have to worry about that. It's more exciting that based on what Rob Polinka did this offseason was enough for LeBron to be like, yo, I'm sticking around for the next couple of years. Let's not even mess around with this. Give me the max and let's roll. The only other storyline from tonight was Russell Westbrook getting traded for Mr. Wall. Heading Huge. from the Rockets to, mammoth, to the Wizards. To mammoth contracts. Huge contracts. For both teams, good for them. It hurts for D.C. I know a lot of fans love John Wall as Wizards. I don't think Rockets fans are going to miss Russell Westbrook leaving town. Another star, superstar, leaves Houston, and James Harden still stays. Well, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, until next week, for my partner, the great John Tiny London, a.k.a. Al from White Plains, have a great and safe sports week. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>